this series, Jesus and Genesis, we're right in the middle of it today. Do you see that Jesus is in Genesis? You see the name Jesus? It took me a couple weeks to see that, but I, some of you are like, you're a moron. It's been staring at you this whole time, but I just noticed that recently. I thought, what a clever uh, logo that is for this series. So we're looking at Jesus in Genesis, which means we're opening the Bible, we're taking a look at the Bible, and we're seeing how Jesus shows up in the first book of the Bible. Now, just, just so you know, that doesn't mean we're going to see the name Jesus in the book of Genesis. You're not going to see the name Jesus. So if nobody's explained this to you, let, let, me, let me explain this to you for those of you who are maybe new to the Bible or to some theology. Jesus is the name that we give to God the Son when he took on flesh. God the Son has always existed. God the Son doesn't have a beginning. God the Son is God, fully God. So God the Son has always existed. But 2,000 years ago, God the Son took on flesh, and that's when we started calling him Jesus. Does that make sense? So God the Son is also called Jesus, but before he was called Jesus, he existed. And that's who we're looking at in Genesis and so Jesus, we're not going to see the name Jesus in Genesis, but we're going to see that the second person of the Trinity was always there. And so what we've been doing in this series, in week one, we looked at how Jesus reverses the curse. I love Genesis 3.15. For those of you who missed it, Genesis 3.15 is the first time the gospel shows up in the Bible. The gospel, the good news is that Jesus died for us so that we could have life. The first time we get a hint of that in the whole Bible is in Genesis 3.15, where it says that Satan, or the serpent, will strike his heel, but he will crush his head. And it's talking about Jesus. That Satan would strike Jesus' heel, which is what he did when Jesus went to the cross. Satan thought he won. But three days later, he rose from the dead, and Jesus crushed his head. I love that. What a cool, what a cool picture. What a cool prophecy. The proto-evangelion is what it's called. The first gospel the first time the gospel shows up in the Bible is in Genesis 3.15. So we looked at that in week one. And then last week we talked about this strange guy named Melchizedek who is a priest king that shows up in the story of Abraham. So if you missed that, you can check that out from last week. And we see that, again, that, that Melchizedek is a type of Christ um, from Genesis 14 because Jesus is our priest and Jesus is our king. And that's what we talked about last week. And today, we're going to continue to thumb through the pages of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles or your Bibles, Bible apps, open up to Genesis chapter 22. Because we're going to take a look at the story of Abraham and Isaac. Now, if you don't know the story of Abraham and Isaac, we're going to be unfolding that story as we, as we develop this sermon. So hang in there because I'm going to be telling the story as we go through our points today. But here's kind of the big idea Genesis 22, the chapter, the 22nd chapter of Genesis provides one of the most powerful types of Christ in the Bible. I put that in parentheses, in quotes, because a type of Christ, I first learned about types of Christ when I was in seminary. A type of Christ is a foreshadowing of the work of Christ. Now, there's another thing that we, that we could talk about, which is a Christophany. Everyone say Christophany. A Christophany is, a, is an appearance of Christ. A Christophany is where we open the Old Testament and we see, we see God the Son showing up, Christophany. 
So God shows up, but it's God the Son who shows up, and it's actually the pre-incarnate Christ showing up in the Old Testament. That's a Christophany. A type of Christ is different. A type of Christ is a foreshadowing of Jesus. It's like almost like a metaphor, right? But a Christophany is actually Jesus, God the Son. Again, we can't call him Jesus technically because Jesus is his name that he got it, the incarnation. Is everybody confused now? Does everybody get this? So Jesus, always, God always existed as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. His name, we started calling him Jesus 2,000 years ago, but that doesn't mean that's when he started. So a Christophany is where Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, shows up in the Old Testament, and, and this is something that theologians love to debate. So for example, some theologians believe that Melchizedek isn't just a type of Christ, they believe that Melchizedek is a Christophany. Does that make sense? So we don't know for sure, and I don't really remember how they preached it last week, if they preached it as a Christophany. Oh yeah, you were, yeah, so I don't, I don't remember who preached Chris preached it last week, so I don't know if he preached it as a Christophany or not. Melchizedek might have been a Christophany, actually Jesus himself, the pre-incarnate Christ, or maybe he was just a type of Christ. I preached it as a type of Christ, but I think some of our preachers preached him as a Christophany. Another example of a Christophany, of a potential Christophany, is you, you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they go into the fiery furnace, and then an angel appears in the fiery furnace? Some theologians believe that that was Jesus. Some theologians believe that that was a Christophany, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Today's message is not a Christophany. Isaac is not the pre-incarnate Christ. We're going to talk about Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We're going to talk about Isaac today. We'll talk about Jacob next week. Isaac is a, is a type of Christ. He's a foreshadowing. There are four connections, or five connections we're going to look at today as we look at the story of Isaac and Abraham sacrificing Isaac on the altar, almost sacrificing him on, on an altar, and then how that is foreshadowing the work of Jesus in the New Testament. So today we're going to look at five connections between the work of Jesus on the cross and Isaac and the story of Abraham and Isaac. How many of you know the story of Abraham and Isaac? Raise your hand if you know the story. Many of us know the story from kids' church or from reading the Bible over the years. If you're new today, I'll try to make sure that you are filled in on the details of the story. But the big idea is God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, and he went on his way to Mount Moriah to do just that. And that's the story we're going to look at today as we look at five connections. Here we go. We're going to go fast. Number one. Connection number one. Isaac from Genesis 22 and Jesus from the New Testament were one and only sons, born by the power and the will of God. Let's take a look at the story. Genesis 22, one through three. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, here, here I am, Abraham said. Take your son your only son. Now, by the way, if you know the story, Isaac is not Abraham's only son. Isaac actually, Abraham actually had a son named Ishmael 14 years earlier, born to him, not by his wife, but born to him by his wife's maidservant, Hagar. And God, God had promised Abraham children back in Genesis 12, but it was taken a while. How many of you know that sometimes God's promises take a little while? Right? God, some, just because God promised it doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow or today. 
And so God makes this promise in Genesis 12. God, God says, Abraham, the, all, the, all the nations on the world are going to be blessed through you because you're going to be a great nation. And Abraham's like, what you talking about, Willis? Anybody? Okay. <laughs> Different strokes. What you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about because I don't have any kids. God makes a promise. Abraham says, I don't have any kids. How's this supposed to happen? And so they're, Abraham and Sarah are looking around saying, uh, is something going to happen here? Are we Are going to have some kids here? So finally, Abraham took, took matters into his own hands. Sarah said, why don't you have a child through my maidservant, which was a thing back then, 4,000 years ago. So Abraham and Hagar have a child called Ishmael. Ishmael, for 14 years, Abraham's like, this is what God was talking about in Genesis 12. This is him. This is the promise. And we're going to see as we tell this story that that wasn't the promise. They were going to have another kid. So back to this. God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. And if you know the story, Abraham does it. Now, we're going to continue to tell the story, but what I'm focusing on right now is that part right there. I'm going to put this side by side with a famous verse from the New Testament. On the left, the story in Genesis, your son, your only son, whom you love so much. Does that call to mind any passage from the New Testament? John 3:16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So here we have it. Now, we're starting to see the the type of Christ being developed, that this is their only, on the left, only son, on the right, only son, but it goes even further than that. Let's compare a couple more passages. On the left, Genesis 18, this was God speaking to Abraham and Isaac when they already had Ishmael, and God said, I'm going to return to you about this time next year, and your wife, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now, Sarah was 90 years old. Abraham was 100 years old. So Sarah laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out, her words, not mine, <laughs> how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my husband is also so old? And then the Lord said, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son, mark my words. So Isaac is the son that we're talking about born by the power and will of God, not by a normal biological process. That's on the left. On the right, again, does that remind you of anything? On the right, Luke chapter 1, God speaking through an angel to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And Mary said, how can this happen? Now, her story is even crazier than Sarah's story because Mary was a virgin, and the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. And so again, once again, not only are they beloved by their fathers, but they are born, both Isaac and Jesus, connection number one, is they are both born by the power and the will of God. They are not born by normal biological processes. That's the first connection. We got four more. Connection number two. Connection number two, and for some reason it's not advancing. Someone might need to help me back there at the computer. 
Connection, there we go. Connection number two. The sons carried wood on their backs as they marched toward their death. I love this one. This one's really cool. I don't know if you've seen this in these stories before, but let's take a look. In Genesis 22, 6, Abraham and Isaac are heading toward Mount Moriah, and Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while Abraham himself carried the fire and the knife. Now let's put that side by side with John chapter 19, verse 17. Carrying the cross by himself, Jesus went to the place called the place of the skull in Hebrew, Golgotha, and there they nailed him to the cross. Do you see this connection? Do you see this foreshadowing in the story in Isaac in Genesis 22 that Isaac carries the wood on his back and Jesus carried the one on his back on his way to the altar? Now, in case somebody here is a skeptic, and I'm sure we've got some skeptics. I'm skeptical too. I get it. So even me, I look at this, I'm like, should we really include this as a connection? Is this a little bit of a stretch? Do you know that there was actually a, a Jewish rabbi 400 years before Christ that wrote, on, this, on Genesis 22, he said, this story reminds me of crucifixion. 400 years before Jesus even went to the cross, crucifixion was already a thing. And when this Jewish rabbi is reading this story of Abraham and Isaac, he's the one who points out, this reminds me of crucifixion. And 400 years later, sure enough, Jesus is carrying the wood on the cross, wood of the cross on his way to the altar. That's connection number two. That one's a really cool one. Connection number three, and I still don't have control, so you might have to just keep paying attention up there. Connection number three. The sons obeyed their fathers in quiet determination. I like this one. Let's take a look at the story in Genesis, whoops, in Genesis 22, 7 through 8. Father, we have the fire and the wood, Isaac said. Isaac's probably about a teenager right now. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Pay attention to that last part. That, That part really gets me when I read the story. And they both walked on together. Isaac walks with his father in quiet determination. Now, we don't exactly know how much Isaac knew. But I have to think at this point, Isaac's beginning to wonder, what's going on here? They're walking toward the altar. And Isaac, I see this as Isaac sort of walking with his father in quiet determination. And and when we put this one side by side, Yeah, thank you. Are you controlling this now? Do I just need to pretend I'm hitting this? Okay, everybody, you guys can all, we got nothing to hide here, okay? I'll go like this, okay? On the left, Genesis 22, on the right, Matthew 26. It says, this one's speaking about Jesus. Jesus went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I love this. Look at this. Left and right, both sides, we see the son trusting the father. We see the son walking even toward this difficult moment in quiet determination. You know, this, this makes me think about Isaac. Pastor, Pastor John actually brought this. Those of you who are subscribed to his YouTube channel, he actually said this on his Minute on the Mountain channel um, yesterday, and I thought, man, that's so insightful He said, you know, I think for Isaac, it wasn't just that he trusted Abraham. I think Isaac actually trusted God. 
I know for me with my son AJ, from the time he was born, I've tried to speak into his life that God has a special plan for him, that God loves him, that God cares about him, that, that he matters to God. And I, I speak that into my son just like my dad spoke that into me. My dad did a great job just saying, God's got a plan for you, Brian, and God can use you. So fathers, speak that into your sons and daughters. And so I would imagine that Abraham, from the time Isaac was born, I would imagine that Abraham said, Isaac, you'll never guess what God said to me back in Genesis 12, which was like 25 years earlier. You'll never guess what God said to me. He promised that there would be a whole nation coming from me, and he was talking about you. He promised that all the nations on the earth will be blessed, and he was talking about you. You're the son of the promise, Isaac. God has great things for you. And so I would imagine as, as they walked on together on the left there, as they both walked on together, I would imagine that that was, that was Isaac. What was ringing in his head wasn't just his, the words or his faith in Abraham, his father, but it was even more importantly, it was his faith in God, the God of his father. And I think that that was passed on. And then we see that with Jesus, that Jesus is, he says, look, I'm submitted to the father and I don't want to go to the cross, but not your will, my will, or not my will, your will be done, is what Jesus said. And then as we see in Isaiah 53, 7, on the left, there's something a little bit more I want, to, I want to jump into on this. And on the left, we have this prophecy in Isaiah 53, 7. This is about 800 years before Christ came and went to the cross. So the story in Genesis 22 was about 2,000 years before that. So this is more than 1,000 years later. In Isaiah 53, it's a prophecy about Jesus. It says, Jesus was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a, slam, a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he didn't open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. And so we have that on the left, and this prophecy is fulfilled on the right, Matthew 27, 12 through 14. This was at Jesus' trial. It says, when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Pilate says, don't you hear all these charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no response to any of these charges. So again, we just see, we have this picture. I, I, can't, I can't but think of Isaiah 53 when I read Genesis 22 when it says that Isaac and Abraham just walked on silently. They just walked on quietly together toward Mount Moriah, toward the altar. And that makes me think about Jesus walking quietly to the cross Submitted to the will of God. That's connection number three. Connection number four. The father's envisioned resurrection on the way to the altar. Now, if you know the story about Jesus, you, that, that one's obvious. It's obvious that God the father had resurrection in mind as Jesus was heading to the altar. But if you're like me, you're, then you're saying, but did Abraham really think about resurrection on the way to the altar? Because if you read the story in Genesis 22, it doesn't say anything about that in the story. Abraham never mentions resurrection. Abraham, he does, there's no hint of that in Genesis 22. But you actually have to go to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Because remember, we interpret Scripture with Scripture. So we actually get even more information about what was going on in Genesis 22 when we turn the page and read Hebrews, because the author of Hebrews says this. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. It's in the famous chapter in Hebrews that we call the Faith Hall of Fame. 
It talks about these, these Old Testament characters who had faith, and Abraham was obviously one of them. It says this, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing. Abraham reasoned, and here it is, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. See, this is so interesting. When you read this, you realize you get some insight in, into the mind of Abraham. See, many of us know the story. Spoiler alert, if you didn't know the story, Abraham doesn't have to go through with it. You'll see that here in the next point. So sorry to spoil it a little bit early. But Abraham doesn't have to go through with it. But look, Abraham didn't know that. So when I read the Genesis 22 story, because I know the story, I'm thinking Abraham's walking on his way to the altar thinking I'm not going to have to go through with this. God's going to bail me out at the last second. But that's actually, according to the Bible, that's actually not what he was thinking. This is what he was thinking. He was thinking, I'm going to have to go through with this. So I guess God's going to bring him back to life. Because God made a promise. And it's not an option for God to break his promise. So Abraham's faith, according to Hebrews 11, Abraham's faith was in the resurrection. He believed that God would resurrect Isaac from the dead even after he had to take his life. And again, what a powerful foreshadowing of what happened in the story of Jesus. Let's put this passage from Hebrews next to Isaiah 53.10. Again, this prophecy from Isaiah it says, it was the will of the Lord, it was the will of God the Father to crush God the Son, which is so crazy. It was the will of God the Father to crush God the Son. He has put him to grief. God the Father has put God the Son to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, Jesus, it's talking about the Son, shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. This, what I've underlined here, is actually a prophecy about the resurrection that God the Father had the resurrection in mind even as Jesus was on his way to the cross. And we see that as connection number four in the story. And there's one more connection I wanna make, and we could make many more, but we had to pick five for the, for the sake of time. The last connection is this, God provided the substitute. In both stories, God provided the substitute. So for those of you who don't know the Genesis 22 story, here's how it finished. So, so Abraham gets there to the altar. Finally, Isaac is, takes the wood off his back, and Abraham said, hey, son, sorry, but it's you. And he, he binds his son, he puts him on the altar, which I can't even imagine that moment between father and son. And Isaac submits himself, and he's bound on the altar, and, and Abraham is raising the knife above his head, and he's about ready to follow through on this crazy commandment of God. And, and God said, Abraham, stop. You've passed the test. You don't have to go through with it. And that's where we pick up the story in Genesis 22. It says in verse 13, then Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And so he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Remember, that's what he was supposed to do. God said, your son's going to be the burnt offering. And and, and now he was able to use the ram instead. And Abraham named the place Yahweh Yira or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So in the Genesis 22 story, 
God provides a sacrifice. God provides a substitute. Instead of Isaac having to be the sacrifice, the ram is sacrificed. And that's the grace of God toward Abraham and toward Isaac. And so let's put that passage side by side with 1 Peter chapter 2. And here's what it says there. Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. I love that verse, by the way. What a great verse. If you haven't read that one in a while, write that one down. What a great summary of the gospel. Jesus personally carried our sins on his body, on the, in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. That's actually a quote from Isaiah 53. Peter is quoting Isaiah 53, which we've been reading a lot today. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, again, that's a reference from Isaiah 53, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Here's what I want you to notice. On the left, the ram is the sacrifice, is the substitute for Isaac. On the left, the ram is substituted for Isaac. On the right, Jesus is the substitute for us. And this is the greatest difference in these two stories. In the Genesis 22 story, at the very last minute, a ram is sacrificed, and so, so Abraham doesn't have to go through with it and take the life of his son. But in the story of Jesus on the cross, God the Father had to go through with it. Can you imagine? God the Father went through with it. And he had, to take, he had to take the life of his son. God the Father didn't say, oh, it's all right, Jesus, you can come off the cross. My one and only son, whom I love so much, you can come off the cross. We'll put a, we'll put a ram in your place. We'll put a lamb in your place. We'll put a goat in your place. No. Jesus went through with it. And Jesus spilled his blood for us, and Jesus gave his life for us. And so Jesus is the substitute in the gospel, and he did it for, for our sake. See, if God would have taken his or her faith a little bit last week when we talked about Melchizedek, that anyone who would put his or her faith in Jesus Christ would be saved, and this passage would be true of us from 1 Peter, that Jesus personally carried our sins in his body so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we're healed. By the wounds of Jesus, we are healed. Jesus is our substitute. And if you're here today and you've never allowed Jesus to be your substitute, then I just want to invite you to let him in today. The good news of the Bible is really, really simple. You and I are broken and sinful and in need of a sacrifice. And Jesus was that sacrifice. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went through with it. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for mine. And the Bible says the only thing left for us to do is to receive the free gift. If you've never received that free gift, if you've, never, if you've never said, God, what you did on the cross, I want to receive today, then I want to invite you to do that even right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? And we don't do this every week at Alpine, but I feel like today it's, this message really calls for this. If you're here today and you want to place your faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross that was foreshadowed thousands of years earlier in Genesis 22, if you want to place your faith in that Christ, if you want to receive what he did on the cross for your sins, 
then I want to invite you to pray a prayer like this in your heart. Pray this prayer. Father God, thank you for sacrificing your one and only son. And Jesus, thank you for going through with it. I recognize I'm a sinner, broken and in desperate need of you. And today I receive Jesus as my substitute. Thank you for the forgiveness and the salvation that comes through his blood. And help me to live my life to honor you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says that those who have received Jesus, and if you prayed a prayer like that for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time, if you prayed a prayer like that, then that is talking about you. The Bible says those who have received Jesus have the right to be called children of God. So that means that based on the work of Jesus on the cross and based on your profession of faith and your confession of dependence on him, the Bible says you're saved, that that substitute counts for you. I know that's true for me, that's true for many of us in here, so if, if that's you today and that's, that's new for you today, I just wanna say congratulations and welcome to the family.